Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today to Rob Israel, who's an admissions counselor at Colgate University in beautiful Hamilton, New York. Rob, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and it's an honor and pleasure to have you. So, Rob, let me ask you to give us a brief introduction about yourself. How long have you been in admissions, and how did you end up in such a position? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So, I've been in admissions professionally for a little over three months now. Um, I'm an alum of Colgate. I graduated in May, and I worked in the admissions office all four years as a student. So as my senior year progressed, and I really had to start thinking about what I wanted to do uh, as a full-time job, my dad one day mentioned, he was like, what do you enjoy doing the most? And I said, working in admissions. <laughs> he was like, there's your answer. So um, I ended up applying to a bunch of uh, different admission offices all kind of around the Northeast, all small liberal arts schools. And to be frank, Colgate was the first one to offer me a job. And <laughs> I couldn't be more happy to, uh, you know, stay here as a full-time staff member now and contribute to such an amazing office. Well, dad gave you great advice. And I know that Colgate University and we as listeners are very fortunate to have you. So thank you so much, Rob, for the introduction. I really appreciate it. So let me ask you, as a former alum, what are some of the things that you personally love about Colgate University that make it so appealing, Rob, for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, so I think one of the first things that students notice when they arrive on campus is just how rural of a location we're in. And it scares them at first, but the way I answer that and the way that I could just be straight honest about that is the community here makes up for that so quickly. It's really a collaborative effort between students and faculty and staff where everyone's going to know your name and smile and wave to you as you walk by, whether going to classes or going to a restaurant or the dining hall at night. But I'm gonna, I'll use that word community truly a lot. It's the community that makes Colgate so appealing, where you'll end up at your professor's homes for dinner, 
you'll walk their dogs, you'll babysit the kids. But <laughs> it goes it goes beyond those professor professor relationships as well. It's you know the dining services staff knowing what type of food you like and having it prepared for you when you go there after class or campus safety. Uh, they you know for example one of the campus safety officers knew. Uh, that I had an early morning class and he would come and pick me up when it would snow. So I didn't have to walk (laughs) up the hill uh, in the snow or wait for the cruiser, which is our shuttle system in the snow. So truly the community really makes Colgate um, a really special place. You know, at the same time, I think our campus is beautiful. You alluded to it, how Hamilton, New York is beautiful, but it's the community here that truly makes it uh, special and different from a lot of other small liberal arts universities. Well, thank you so much for that introduction, and I love how you emphasize community and all the examples in terms of personal touch. That's amazing that someone would pick you up so that you wouldn't have to uh, go down the hill. I think that's phenomenal. And I want to add, by the way, that I read a statistic that 95% of the freshmen returned which is an astonishing statistic. And it's a testament to the great work that you guys do in admissions to make sure you get the right students on campus. But it's also the work that you do as a school community to make sure that once students are there, that they are very happy. So congratulations to you and the Colgate University family. That's just tremendous. And Rob, students usually spend, of course, four years in college So visiting campus before committing to a school is so important for the student to get a feeling of the campus and the surrounding area. Of course, you talk about that community feeling. So if a student is able to come to campus, what are the areas that they should be visiting at Colgate University? And what are some questions they should be asking to help them determine if the school is in fact the right fit for them? Yeah, so... If any student or prospective student is going to come and visit campus, one of the things I would recommend is to try to sign up for a student-led tour through us. Essentially, it's a two-hour experience. You get to speak or receive a small presentation from an admission officer during the first 10 minutes and last 10 minutes of your time here, but then you get to go out on tour with a student for about an hour, hour 15 minutes. I think our tour is super unique as It's not scripted whatsoever, and we try to cap the number of uh, prospective students and their guests on it to roughly about four per tour guide. Tours aren't scripted because at the end of the day, if you're visiting a college campus, you're not going to remember what the name of a building is or what classes are taught in there, but you're more likely to remember one of the classes that one of our students took in there and how it impacted them and the relationship they had with the professor. So that kind of went into our mentality of switching the tours from being essentially scripted to unscripted. So being on tour is really unique on campus. Unfortunately, our tour doesn't show the entire campus. So if you are uh, at Colgate ever and you go on the tour and you kind of want to see the rest of it, I definitely recommend going into our downtown, the village of Hamilton, a bunch of coffee shops, bookstore, movie theater, et cetera, where you will see a bunch of current students, uh, you know, supporting those local businesses. But at the same time, our athletic center is maybe a seven-minute walk from the admissions office, but you can go and check out the hockey rink and, you know, maybe even catch a game if you're here on a Friday or Saturday. So there is truly a bunch of stuff to see, whether on tour or not on tour. In terms of, like, what questions to ask, it's kind of hard to pick a specific question or a few that students should ask. It's truly 
an individual and unique process to every single student. In my time as a student, and now my time as an admission officer, though, I think some of the most useful questions we'll say are, what's the average student like, or even, what's what's the average day consist of? Because at the end of the day, I can answer any question on all the majors we have here and stuff like that, but you can also find all that on the website. So asking those more personal questions on who are you trying to get on campus, what are your students like, what do they do uh, when they're not in class, are they involved, stuff like that, I think that really makes a difference. And try to focus on things that you're interested in as well. If you're not interested in sports, maybe you don't like try to pick apart the brain of some one of the tour guides who, you know, maybe an athlete or on a club or intramural team. Ask this, ask about the things that you want to learn about. That's the most important part. Well, we appreciate that. And I love how you talked about going to the downtown area, of course, to get a feel of the community, not only on campus, but beyond. But talking to different kids about exactly what you're saying, what was your typical day like? What could you tell me about professors? What could you tell me about the social life? And frankly, any other questions. So I think that's great advice, things that are really important to do if, in fact, you're able to get to campus. So thank you so much, Rob. We really appreciate it. And what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interests in attending Colgate University? And Rob, is that something that you track as part of your admissions process? To be upfront about that, we do not track demonstrated interest uh, within our admission process. At the end of the day, we don't believe it's um, 100% equitable to do so where it is you know, difficult. We're in a rural location, so it is somewhat difficult to get here. But at the same time, we offer virtual programming, but some prospective students may not have the necessary means to access that as well. So we don't track demonstrated interest in that regard. But to interact with the university, um, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. You can come on the tour on campus and essentially that'll sign you up for all the notifications and you'll get the great emails and all the cool pamphlets in the mail. But even if you don't have an opportunity to be on campus, if you interact with our website, if you go and sign up for maybe one of the webinars we host on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time or do the virtual tour or sign up for what we call Colgate admission conversation with a current student or uh, an alum, Doing all that is still interacting with the university, and it will still, at the end of the day, give you the same um, materials that will start coming through your email and coming through your you know, physical mail as well. So those are kind of my, those are the main ways that students will demonstrate interest. I think at the end of the day, um, our website does a really good job at just depicting just about anything you could do, but also as social media grows, looking at our Instagram or uh, our our TikTok or our Twitter, stuff like that, <laughs> you're really able to see, you know, what an average day in the life of a student is in more of an informal sense through that social media aspect as well. Well, I appreciate that. And that's a great point because nowadays looking at a university's social media platforms really does give just that an insight in terms of what a typical day really does look like. So I appreciate that very much. And by the way, Rob, I always put in the show notes, the Office of Undergraduate Admissions. Of course, in this case, we're talking about Colgate University. If there's anything else that you want me to link, just provide it to me and I'll make it available to the students and parents in the show notes. And Rob, I was also curious, 
What are the different ways that a student may apply to Colgate University? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other, such as early decision as opposed to early action? What could you tell us about that? Yeah, so in terms of, I'll get it out of the way really quick. In terms of applications <laughs> we accept, uh, we accept three different platforms. Uh, we accept a common application, the coalition application, and we're a QuestBridge partner school. So we'll accept the QuestBridge application if you are a QuestBridge scholar as well. In terms of the ways you apply, we're an early decision school. Um, so we have early decision one and early decision two. The early decision one deadline is November 15th. The early decision two deadline is January 15th. And we also have regular decision, which is January 15th as well. Uh, we wanted to try to keep the dates you know, the same on early decision two and regular decision to not make it as confusing uh, and you know, have to memorize more dates. In terms of who we accept, we enroll about 50% of our class through early decision one and early decision two, and then 50% comes through regular decision. We aim for about a class of 800 students. With that, though, you know, students who are applying early decision, we like, you know, we like seeing those applications because we know that we'll get them on campus. They're saying that Colgate is their number one school and that if they are admitted, they will be coming to campus as a student. Um, and generally, students who are applying early decision know a lot about Colgate in the way that they'll meet our criteria, whether it's academically or personally, as we do read holistically here. So that is where we kind of get that 50% number through early decision and 50% regular decision. But we're not lowering our standards in early decision one or early decision two by any means. So, you know, maybe <laughs> they're not as many um, great applicants through early decision one and early decision two. We can take more through regular. That's really not a huge problem on our end. But at the end of the day, the breakdown is early decision one. Early decision two is about 50%, and then regular decision makes up uh, the other 50%. Well, I appreciate you sharing that insight very clearly. You explained that there's an ED1, ED2, where in general you accept 50% of your class, and the other 50% comes through regular decision. So, again, we appreciate that. And you talked about the rigor. So, I was also curious, Rob, do you have an honors program at Colgate University? And if so, how are students considered for the program? And do they have to apply separately, for example? Yeah, so we don't have a specific honors program um, through Colgate that a student is applying to. Generally, within every major, um, once you declare a major, you have until the end of your sophomore year to do so here. Um, since we are a liberal arts school, we want you to go and explore different areas that may interest you. But within the major, you may have the option to participate in an honors thesis. So the majority of majors here will generally end with doing about a semester-long research project. And if you're eligible to participate with the honors thesis, it'll turn into a two-semester-long research project. Um, when we review applications for admissions, we automatically review everyone for a program called the Alumni Memorial Scholars Program. We accept about roughly 15 to 20 students within that program. And essentially, the way to phrase it, those are you know the best of the best. They're not only beyond academically bright and well-rounded, but you could see through their application that they're really interested in, in something and they're actively pursuing, you know, whether it's research or just studying that and learning more about it. 
So those students will um, end up, you know, flagging on our end for AMS, Alumni Memorial Scholars. And then all the students we flag will go to a faculty committee and they'll choose the students who are a part of that program. If you're chosen to be a part of the program, generally, um, you know, you get a stipend at some point during your four years at Colgate to go and, you know, do some research and whatever major you end up declaring here. But that's kind of the only program that we'll really look for through that. Well, we appreciate that, Rob. Thank you so much for that insight. And I also know that Colgate, like many other schools today, is in fact test optional. Rob, can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the we're kind of in, it's like our third or fourth year right now of being test optional. And we just announced that we're going to be test optional through 2027. Um, that was a relatively new statement we made roughly a month ago. But right now we have about, I'd say it's closer to 50-50, maybe 40% of students are applying with uh, a test score or without a test score, per, mind you, and then 60% are admitted in that regard. We we find, though, that it's more towards that 50-50 benchmark. Um, the way I like to phrase it, though, is you know, we recognize that, especially during COVID, it brought it to light where the SAT or ACT may not be the best measure of one's academic intelligence, whereas their transcript from four years of work that they've done throughout high school may be better uh, represented through that. So if you don't submit a test score at Colgate, you're not at a disadvantage by any means. So generally, students who are submitting those test scores get within our 50% or middle 50% for the SAT or ACT. And as we've become test optional, our middle 50% has grown or increased. Students who get those scores, submitting them, and students who are not, don't. But at the end of the day, you're not held at a disadvantage in the application process if you don't submit your test score. I just check a box that says you're applying with testing or you're applying without testing and moving on. And that's the basic difference. You're either checking a box or not. So we really appreciate that insight, Rob. And I also like how you explain that the test is one snapshot and it's not more important than the transcript, which shows four years of rigor, four years of classes. So I thought that was a great analogy and a great comparison. Thank you so much for that, Rob. We really appreciate it. And of course, with the increase in schools going test optional and the ease with which one could apply, you mentioned the different ways that one could apply to Colgate University. As admissions professionals, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, waitlist, and even deny when you for sure receive far more applications from deserving candidates than the seats that are available? Um, we really try to focus on the students we're accepting first. Um, we're reading applications to try to accept students. Um, we don't want to open up an application and have a negative connotation in that regard. So we're reading to accept students. But at the end of the day, we're very data-driven. Um, we work a lot with our CRM in terms of trying to predict if we admit X amount of students, how many will actually uh, yield and enroll at Colgate. So by focusing on the accepts, after, you know, admit, not admitting students, but after focusing on the accepts, we'll try to get that right number of students to send those admit letters to in which our data will signify that those accepts will turn into um, 
admits and coming to Colgate and enrolling in classes. But with that, um, in terms of the waitlist, we always want to have a healthy waitlist, but at the same time, we don't want to lead students on who, you know, if we're a student's top choice and we just put them on the waitlist, we don't want to string them along for months on end. So we try to keep a healthy waitlist in our eyes. And, you know, if we don't get the yield that we're expecting, we can pull from the waitlist. But at the same time, we don't want to put so many students on the waitlist to drag them along. But to answer the question pretty simply, we really focus on the accepts in terms of that. Um, we're not trying to increase our class size. We have about 3,200 students on campus. Um, so, you know, with that, we're focusing on those accepts. Well, we appreciate that insight. And it's definitely not uh, an easy process because, you know, you mentioned the yield. And I know that you guys do studies to try to anticipate what the yield is, but certainly it could change from year to year, making it even more complicated. So again, thank you so much for the insight. What are some examples, Rob, of college essays that left a positive impression on you? And what advice would you share with students that are getting ready to sit down to write their essays? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, during my time, as I went through this process uh, about five years ago to almost for the day, actually. Um, you know, my high school guidance counselor told me a lot of tips and tricks on how to write the perfect essay and get one that really gets across. And, you know, as be now being a professional in the admissions office, there are definitely some things that I uh, would have tweaked with their advice. But at the end of the day, the essay prompt is open-ended for a reason. We just want you to talk about yourself it does not have to be the best piece of literature you've ever wrote. It doesn't have to be, you know, like this amazing poem or something like that. We just wanted to learn more about you. So in terms of essays that left positive impressions on me, they're really just ones that when you submit your application, I can see the list of activities that you complete. And the essays that leave a really positive impressions may intertwine many of their activities into one general theme. So a piece of advice I like giving students is if you write all the activities that um, you've participated throughout in high school down on a sheet of paper, you'll be able to kind of see a relevant theme through all of them. And that theme should kind of be the focus of your essay and what you want to write. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. Um, I always go with that corny example, too, of if you're, high, if you're your high school star soccer player, don't write about the game-winning goal you scored against <laughs> your, your crosstown rival because at the end of the day, I can go on your uh, activities and all that and see that you play soccer and see that maybe you're the star player of the team. But if you can take that moment of your life of, you know, scoring the goal, game-winning goal against your crosstown rival, and then maybe relate it to something else you've done and, you know, a class you've taken or something like that, you develop this theme about who you are, and that's what the essay should be. Um, you know, you don't have to go on thesaurus.com and use the most rigorous words that you can find. Just tell us about who you are. I know it's stressful to have it be open-ended, but at the end of the day, I just want to learn a little more about who you are from your eyes and something that's pretty important to you uh, that you know, has been throughout your life for the past 17, 18 years. Well, we appreciate that, Rob. Thank you so much. And a student's activity sheet is another piece of their application. What are the kinds of things you are looking for beyond the work they completed in the classroom? 
Yeah, so specifically with Colgate, um, we read applications holistically here. We're very, um, you know, proud of that, but also very intentional with it. So your GPA is just not the only thing about you. You've done a lot of other things outside of the classroom, whether it's theater or dance or singing, sports, volunteer, part-time job, etc. So in terms of their activity sheet, obviously, like having a nice diverse array of activities is always nice. But at the same time, it's really just about including what you are passionate about and what you do put some time into outside of that. We also like seeing trends with the activities. So starting maybe in grade nine and completing it through grade 12, say you're in a club and just staying in that club all four years and being an active member in it rather than joining the club for one year and then ditching it at the end of the year. If you don't like the club, you don't have to stay in it, but um, (laughs) we'd rather see that continual progression of you're dedicated to your activities. You try to have a diverse array of them, but at the end of the day, you're just doing things that make you happy and also make you feel more well-rounded. I also like to mention that the activity sheet isn't just necessarily, we'll say, for extracurricular activities. Is At the end of the day, if you have to go home right after school to walk your dog or you have to contribute to your family's financial situation or take care of younger siblings or, you know, parents or grandparents, that's totally, like, okay and not not only acceptable but encouraged to include on that activity sheet because you're still doing something with your time. And if you didn't have to go home and walk the dog right after class, but you weren't doing any activities, we wouldn't know unless you included it on there. So it doesn't just have to be extracurricular activities. It can be family activities as well, which is pretty important to uh, stress. Well, I really appreciate you talking about having to contribute to the family, whether it's holding a job or taking care of a younger sibling, because if in fact that's something that a student has to do, maybe that's the reason why they're not in five, six, seven activities. So I appreciate you talking about that. And does Colgate University offer any programs for students that may have had an IEP while in high school to help ensure that once they get on campus, they continue to be successful? And Rob, if you offer programs like that, could you take a minute to explain what you offer? Yeah, um, so we do offer programs like that. We have a whole, um, you know, Office of Disability Services. We have a person who leads that office and then a whole staff that works behind them. But once applying to Colgate, once enrolled in Colgate, if you have a specific learning disability, for example, um, you'll just report it to the office and they will work with your professors and your administrative dean to help create accommodations for you. So if you need extra time on tests or quizzes or essays, professors are, you know, they're more than happy to help you out with that. Uh, The Office of Disability Services and the deans are more than happy to help you that uh, as well. We want to set you up for success here. We don't want you to come here and feel threatened by something. You know, we don't want our students to fail. Our professors do not want our students to fail as well. But you're struggling in a class, whether, you know, you have an IEP or not. Professors are your first resource to go to. You can't go and get a tutor at Colgate before talking to your professor. All of our professors are required to hold open office hours in which essentially you can just go and talk to them, whether it's about the class or just about life or stuff like that. But you have to go to them first and be like, hey, 
you know, I'm I'm a little confused on the subject we're doing right now, or I want to review my last test. What are some ways you can help me? What are some ways that I can help myself? And then you go from there. But professors, they really want to work with you and help, you know, whether it's leveling the playing field or just helping you if you've done poorly on a test or quiz or something like that. But a different aspect I want to offer uh, some advice to, or not advice, but some information to as well is the one thing that not a lot of students will experience in school um, is if you have a disability that you may need special housing accommodations for as well. So our Office of Residential Life, every year, they um, send out a form to every single student on campus. Everyone is eligible to fill it out. Um, and it's essentially asking if you have any sort of disability that you may need, you know, for instance, a single uh, a single room for, or maybe a floor on the first floor of a building, or maybe a specific roommate or something like that. Because it's not just in the classroom where you're learning here. It's outside of the classroom as well. We're a residential college. Over 90% of our students live on campus during their four years. So we want you to be comfortable not only in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom. So it's truly a well-rounded effort here where academics and residential life are one and they work together in that regard. Well, we really appreciate that. And it goes back to what you said at the very beginning, that it is an outstanding community. And it truly sounds like there's something for everyone in terms of what you offer both inside of your classrooms and beyond. Rob, thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal conversation. And it leads us to our last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents who are getting ready for the college admissions process? That's a great question. Um, my first piece of advice would probably be to just research um, the schools or just research schools that you're interested in. Um, sometimes those, you know, U.S. news and ranking reports are accurate. <laughs> sometimes they are not. Um, but if you stumble across Colgate and you're interested in Colgate, go on the website, peruse around, see the majors, see the clubs and activities. Because all that stuff, it's pretty, you know, low effort at the end of the day to complete. So definitely doing research is a big one. Number two is ask questions, whether you can come to campus or not. Um, Colgate, we have all of our regional admission officers. We all have different territories. So I oversee Long Island uh, and the majority of the Midwest. But we all have different territories where we are all your point of contact to answer questions or direct you in um, different ways, for example, to help you learn more about the school. We also have students um, information online who work within the office. If you want to connect with a current student and learn about it through their eyes. So number two, ask questions. And if you ever get the opportunity to come on campus or get a student on a Zoom call or an admission officer on a Zoom call, um, ask as many questions as you can fit into that time allowed because it's super beneficial to your eyes. And the end of the day, I love talking about Colgate. The rest of the staff loves talking about Colgate. The students love talking about Colgate. And my last one um, is, student, like at the end of the day, it is you know somewhat of a family effort to see where you're going to end up. But students, it's your decision. It's your four years that you're deciding on. So I see a lot of students come through the doors here <laughs> who, you know, whose parents just loved Colgate and they were an alum. And you could just tell the student may not be as enthusiastic as possible uh, or as possible about it. So it's really finding your comfort zone and finding a campus that you think that you can do well on and, and truly try to make an impact on. 
I know, you know, my parents were very heavy within my college search process and my younger brother's search process, but it's really about your gut feeling and going, can I see myself here for four years? Not, can my parents see me here for four years? (laughs) Um, So definitely keep that in mind. It's your decision. It's your journey that you're on. So just make it your own. Well, I really appreciate that, particularly number three. And of course, you talked about researching schools, asking a lot of questions. But with number three, it's really a good point because a lot of times students will come to campus and they'll actually feel comfortable because they are there with their siblings and their parents. So there's that you know, sense of comfort because they do the tour, they see the beautiful campuses, they go out for a nice dinner with the family. But as soon as you have to recognize that one day you're going to be dropped off at that campus and you're going to be left there alone. So that's something that too many students don't consider. And I think it's an important part of the process to determine, okay, do I want to be here without my parents, without my friends, without my siblings? And that's what you have to ask yourself, students, you know, to help you with the overall process. But anyway, Rob, I really appreciate your time and your insight today. I'm truly so happy because I know that this conversation is going to help so many students and their parents. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope to have you again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, it's been awesome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.